Hello, and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. So this morning, we continue the series of Nehemiah, and we're reading from chapter 6. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arab, and the rest of the enemies, that I had built the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Gershom says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you were saying is happening. You were just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, Naadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. The completion of the wall. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God.
Also in these days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come into your presence with thanksgiving and praise. We thank you for the mighty God that you are, and yet loving, kind, full of mercy and forgiveness if we will but ask. We thank you that you do have plans for our lives. Help us to seek you in prayer and to be prepared for what you would have us to do. Lord, we know that you look for people who are willing to stand in the gap in prayer on behalf of peoples and nations. And as we look around our world, we see conflict, drought, storms, starvation and disease. Lord, forgive us for not standing in the gap in prayer on their behalf. We mentioned this morning a few that are in the news at this time. One in India in particular, and we pray, Lord, for them. May countries be generous in vaccines to help them get control over the virus. Help your people there to help those around them, that they may have many opportunities to speak of Jesus and hope into people's lives. We thank you too, Lord, for the fragile peace agreement that has been agreed between Israel and Palestine. Lord, you say in your word to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray this peace will last, even though we know there are many prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled there. We pray especially for Christians, both sides, to have opportunities to help and to witness to their people around them. And we pray for their protection. Father, this Pentecost day, strengthen our hands as we work here at Waypoint Church. Help us stand in the gaps in prayer before you for the work which is still to be completed here. And as we work together side by side, we come against the enemy that would seek to disrupt us in Jesus' name. And we give thanks, Lord, for all you have planned for us to do here and for future plans you have for us, which are exciting. Speak to us, Lord, as Keith shares with us and prepare our hearts, we pray. Good morning. It's good to see, to see you. I'd just like to personally thank you. Some of you will know it's been a tough week. Uh, my wife Leslie lost her mum uh, this week. It's been difficult, but thank you for those who've been praying. Um, it was on the prayer email. If you're not signed up for that, please have a look. And, uh, but we appreciate that. It's all part of who we are. And um, the Lord's good, isn't he? The Lord is good. And uh, just pray for strength for Leslie particularly and the family at this time. 
and for opportunities in the forthcoming funeral to communicate the great gospel of our glorious God. And uh, so it's good. Uh, Pentecost Sunday as well. Gosh, don't we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you. Don't we need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God to come? Please, just, can I just get out of the way? Can we just get out of the way and say, Holy Spirit, come on. Just get rid of that kind of theological net we think we've caught God in. Get rid of that experience we think we've caught him in and say, please come. So yes, Lord, just anoint our time together. Would you just come and just strip away any sense of deja vu that we've heard everything before? Would you surprise us, remove any ceilings we have personally, any coldness or barriers in our hearts? And my, what is left? Just be your truth, Lord. Take away anything from the speaker. May that be instantly forgotten. And might you be the one we leave here speaking the most about. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remember seeing a, a painting, and the, and, the, and the title of this painting was Checkmate. Now, I'm not a chess player. Does anyone play chess here? All right. Maybe. Oh, great. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay, well, checkmate is kind of the end game, isn't it? I know that much about chess, is where basically the, the other person has no more moves. And on this painting, basically, there was a, it, was, it was a chessboard. And on one side of the board was a guy who looked completely distraught, just out of options, terrified. And on the other side of this board was the devil. And his head was rolled back, laughing. Because he'd got the guy in checkmate, or so he thought. And isn't it true that if ever we kind of want to stand up and do anything for God, if any time we say, yes, I want to be a servant of you, King Jesus, sometimes it can feel like the enemy is tracking us all the way through. And I think we heard a little bit about this last week, that if you don't want to feel that, then don't do anything for Jesus. It's just a nice coast. Don't bother about it and you'll probably have, you know, just, just the general uh, uh, thrills of life and the challenges of life. But whenever we stand and say, King Jesus, I want to serve you, whether that's as a church or whether that's as an individual, the enemy is never going to give up. He's been opposing everything in this book of Nehemiah. Now we're going through, if you're a visitor or online for the first time, please look back at the videos. We're tracking the people in this Old Testament book of Nehemiah who are returning to discover what it means to be God's gathered people again. And the reason we're doing that is because we're kind of coming back to being God's people again. And what does that mean? And isn't this an amazing opportunity for us to say, God, I want to reset all of that. I want to look at what it really means to be your child, to be your church locally, and to be the international church. And thank you so much, Debbie, for praying for Israel and praying for all of the international stage. Because guess what? It's not about us. Yet so often we think it is. But the enemy feels sometimes, and maybe even as a believer, we can feel that we're in checkmate. No more moves. And I think we said a couple of weeks ago that actually um, the thing is that we need to bear in mind as, as a believer who wants to follow Jesus seriously is that we are in a battleground and not a playground. We are, we're supposed to be more like a warship, and there's limits to metaphors, I said, than a cruise ship. Now, a lot of people nod and said, oh, I really like that picture, Keith. You know, yeah, we're a warship and not a cruise ship. But you know, so often our mentality is cruise ship. In a warship, you kind of 
I wouldn't say you don't have any rights. I've been on a few. But you just find your role. You have a job. You're there because you have a job. You're, you're part of the bigger picture, if you want. It's not the kingdom picture, as it were. But you're there as part of the grander mission on a warship. You need to know, know your role. Yeah, on the cruise ship, there's like 99% of the people, you know, laid back while 1% of the people look after. And it's all about me. What about the menus? What about um, the kind of food? What, what about the accommodation? That's cruise ship mentality. Now, I'm so glad we don't get that in the church, aren't you? What about the type of songs that I like? What about the type of preaching? How long is it going to be? We're not like that at all, are we? Cruise ship mentality says it's all about me. And if I don't like it, I can join the next cruise ship two miles down there. Isn't it? I hear that all the time. And I need to have a warship mentality that says, I know what, where I'm drafted to. And I know the kingdom battle I'm part of. And this Lord, however hard or difficult or good or bad or joyful, this is where you have drafted me. And I'm going to serve you with all my heart in the kingdom battle. Is that okay? And so we're tracking Nehemiah as we go through this. And we've moved right from, remember chapter one was the crisis. Without a crisis in our life or a crisis in our, in our church even, you know, we just keep okay. It's okay. It's good. It's nice. You know, sometimes a crisis is great. Because it then creates chapter two, the vision, where we say we need to do this again. We need to do this properly. We need to reset and do this. And I pray that as we do that as a church, this isn't saying everything is wrong or bad. It's about, Lord, Holy Spirit, don't give me the assumption that it's just all amazing. And so what we saw then is this new vision in two. And then they started getting on with the work in chapter three. And remember four, the opposition, it started in two. The enemy keeps coming and coming and coming. And chapter four was about opposition. And then last week, we saw... That really, it's also not about a project. It's not about just building a church and having all the best services and the best band and everything we do. And this is amazing, by the way. But it's, it's, it's about having an authentic community, Jim brought to us. How can we have an authentic community that not solely focusing on outputs and function? Yet you see, we've seen that all the way through this, Nehemiah has encouraged the people to stand against, to pray against. And so we see in verse 15 of the reading, thank you again, that the wall was completed in 52 days. Isn't it great? And you notice that the chapter doesn't finish, that the book of Nehemiah doesn't finish at chapter 6, it's 13 chapters. It's not about the project. There's something deeper and bigger than building a wall going on here. This is about a gathered people coming together. But you see, the enemy will always come back time and time and time again. And what I've entitled today, and we've got a slide up for this, is I've entitled Subtle Opposition. Now chapter 4 was a bit about the kind of external opposition from without and within, all sorts of opposition. And there's some kind of opposition from the enemy of souls, the devil himself, who hates everything that is God and everything that is good. Amongst God's people. There's a kind of opposition that we expect. And so maybe we prepare ourselves really well for that sort of opposition. But what we see here in chapter 6 is we see an opposition that is so subtle. It is so subtle. 
In fact, it's almost like I can't quite believe it's opposition. Opposition light. In fact, it's so subtle that I honestly think that the Western church is asleep in the light so often. Because we all of us are prone to falling into these. And what I want to do today, just very, very briefly, is I want to bring out from chapter 6, three types of subtle opposition that are coming to your life if you're a serious Christ follower. This church or any church that seriously wants to take its place in the kingdom battle. I want to bring out three types of subtle opposition. And then I want to speak about an antidote, how we can, what we see in the life of Nehemiah as an antidote against those types of opposition. Is that okay? Because there's three types of subtle opposition, which in some ways are far more dangerous even than the obvious things. And the first thing we see is that the enemy wants to disrupt our priorities. Did you see that in verse 4? They're getting on with the word. It says, When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Progress is going well. I hadn't put the doors in the gates. They came to me and says, Come on, let's have a meeting. Let's get together and have a chat. We want to be part of the team. Come on, you, know, you don't need to kind of go full steam ahead, Nehemiah. You've done well up to now. Let's get involved in this negotiation. What about this other stuff, Nehemiah? I know you've got a project. It's called the Kingdom Project. But what about this other stuff? This is really good as well. We could be part of that. It's a kind of subtle opposition where the enemy wants to disrupt our priorities. And you know, there's so many things we can do as believers. But wouldn't it be amazing if every single one of us knew exactly what we were supposed to be doing? Wouldn't it be great? Do you know what your gifting is? Do you know what your part in the kingdom of God is? Wherever he's placed you in your workplace or in your home, in your street, at the school gate, or wherever that is, or in the church here, all of the above. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were so on it that we just knew where we were serving was where God wanted us to be? And you see, so often I I, I meet with lots of people And they say, I don't really understand that. I really want to serve King Jesus. I've responded to this very enthusiastic message or whatever they've done. I've heard this podcast. And I'm really, uh, I'm confused. I don't know uh, what the Lord wants me to do. And often if I pray with you or I pray with people, I liken our service in life like a busy computer desktop. If you want. Imagine a desktop. Now when you first get it, it's probably quite tidy. It's got half a dozen of the standard icons on the desktop. If you're not a computer person, sorry. But even I get that. And over time, you just kind of put documents on the desktop and other things. And there's folders. Now two years down the line, it can be a mess. Unless you're super organized. And so often I pray with people, Lord, would it be Holy Spirit, even today, that you might grey out those icons of service in my life that are distractions to your service? Might I not even be able to select them? And might it be I can only click on those things that you've got for me in this season? And that might be a season. Yet so often, you see, there's so many good things that come our way. And maybe they're, they're great things. And lots of people who are not believers do these things. There's charitable works. There's all sorts of amazing things. And I'm not here to say what isn't, isn't right for you. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But you see, so often the church can be mesmerized by even the great thing of doing church. 
We can spend 80% of our time and resources in putting on a one-hour show. That's not being a kingdom, people. And I love this. But you know, they often say that after the, after the church uh, service, the real service begins. After the last song, the real service begins. And so often the enemy wants to disrupt our priorities. But Nehemiah knew what was important, what he was called to do. He says, no, I've got no time to. I'm not going to involve you in this project. I know what I'm doing. No way. They were scheming. I, 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 I sussed them out. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? No way. See, Nehemiah knew. He knew. Remember, Jesus, he was on the A grade. Things were going great. People were getting healed. The disciples were happy at that point to be part of the team. Not much persecution in the early part of Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And all of a sudden, Jesus disappears. People are being healed. It's great. The crowds are massive. He's nowhere to be found. And Peter says, where are you going? What are you doing? This is Leadership 101. Keep the momentum. Jesus says, you know, I need to be going around preaching the kingdom of God to other towns too. You see, Jesus, he always had his face right early on. Read the Gospels. Read the Bible. That's not an assumption. But I'm scared about the lack of involvement and kind of attention to Scripture that we give in the Western church. And just see in Scripture where Jesus, very early on, sets his face towards Jerusalem. Remember apostles in Acts chapter 6? They just had 3,000 added to the number that day. That's church growth. I think we'd panic a bit, Jim, maybe. Everyone. And you see there was a big problem with the distribution of food to the widows, the Hebraic and the Greek widows. And of course it had been very easy. This was a good thing. This was charity, right? It'd be great for the apostles to stop everything, to stop the preaching and to say, we just need to sort this out first. Let's just stop everything. Consolidate. Now they pray and they set aside some godly Spirit-filled men to do that job. And the conclusion of the apostles was this in Acts chapter 6. We must give ourselves to the word and to prayer. We cannot get involved in doing this ourselves. You see, we need a mindset of those who are on that warship in the kingdom battle. We need to know what our priorities are. But the enemy will come to you and you're seeking your part in his kingdom plan. Then really seek what he wants you to do. And also it's really great to know what it is that we shouldn't do. I know what I'm really rubbish at. I love it. I'm not very good at DIY. Don't look at me like that. Unless some of you are. I say to people, I'm into YDI, you do it. I'm okay, I can do a bit of electrics and things. But it's so important for us to know what we are good at in the Lord. What the Spirit has set us aside at. And that doesn't mean a forever thing. But what it means is that, Lord, I know this is what you've called me to do. Talk to each other, talk to us. This is a sending center. You know, the sign, I've said it before, probably here, you know, the sign of a great church is not its seating capacity, it's its sending capacity. 
But we've got to be sent with the right gifting and the right equipping so we can take our part in the kingdom plan. So I can do lots of good things. I can serve in lots of good ways. But is it the right ways? So that's so important. That's the first one. That the enemy wants to disrupt our priorities. He also wants to question our motives. Did you see that in 5 to 9? He'll he'll try and do that in in verses 5 to 9. Then the fifth time. Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message. And there was a letter this time. He wrote it down. It's reported that you are doing a rebellion, plotting to revolt, therefore you are building the wall, that you're going to get prophets to declare you as king. Now, prophets in the Old Testament, just as a by the way, were kind of a nuclear option. Okay, if you hired a prophet to say something, it was quite scary for everyone around. And they were accusing Nehemiah of a revolt against the kingdom. But you see, he wants to question our motives. The enemy wants to sow self-doubt. Now a little bit of self-doubt is okay, but not if it halts us in our tracks. And so we see here, when we stand for Christ in his kingdom, you see, everyone will have a view. This is what you're going to do. This is what your motives are. And this is hard. The psalmist says, search me, O Lord, doesn't he? Search my heart, see if there's any way within me. Any way that doesn't honour you. That's so hard, isn't it? But he wants to question our motives. I often say this, you know, we serve everyone, but we only have one master. And if we remember that, we serve everyone, but we only have one master. Then his priorities are my priorities. And whatever people want to say about our motives, about our character, if we're looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you. And it doesn't mean we're perfect because we sang this morning. Thank you so much, team, for that. And this is amazing grace, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it amazing grace? If it's not amazing grace, we don't understand grace. We don't understand the holy character of God if it's not amazing grace. And so the enemy wants to question our motives. He also wants to, us to compromise the truth. Verses 10 and 11. So they hire a prophet, Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said to Nehemiah, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. Sounds like a simple request. Nice thing. He's a nice guy, isn't he? Warning him of a threat. On initial read, let's go to church and have a chat, Nehemiah. Let's do that inside the temple. But you see, Nehemiah knew God's truth. He knew the law of Moses. He knew all around, you know, when God set up the tabernacle and the, and, and, and the rules. And he knew all about Leviticus 16. He knew about all of the temple rules. He knew about all of that that God had set in place. So only the high priest was able to enter the temple in that sense, that holiest place. But you see, what happens here in verse 10 is Shemaiah seeks to downgrade God's word. Come on, Nehemiah, you know, unusual times call for unusual measures. I know that was then, but this is now. Look at it. Come on, I'm sure we can meet in the temple. It'll be the safest place. Why don't you compromise on this thing? It doesn't matter. I know the law of Moses says this, but you know, just compromise. It doesn't matter, does it? 
You know, we can just kind of pick and choose what we believe in the Bible, can't we? We can just do this, you know, we, we don't like that bit because it upsets me. You don't still believe that, do you, Nehemiah? And we see this today, you know, I'm frightened. Genuinely frightened at the junk people listen to and watch. That say you still don't believe in heaven and hell, do you? You still don't believe that the cross is the only way, do you? That isn't it about just being sincere? Any people in other faiths, you know, maybe they don't know they're following Jesus. And then at the end of time, they'll say, well, just come in. That's junk. Stop listening to it. It's universalism and it's not true. Now, I believe that if we have views, and I think we heard this last week, that we should be a safe place to chat. But come on, there are some non-negotiables that we have to say, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your amazing grace. How can you believe the cross is the only way? You know, isn't this is the 21st century, Keith? No one wants to hear that narrative of judgment. You know, isn't God a God of love? Isn't he a God of, of love? And, he, and at the end of time, it's like some Father Christmas figure is just going to say, well, you were a bit naughty, but don't worry about it. Is that why Jesus collapsed in the garden and sweat drops of blood so we'd have to worry about it or bother about it? Can you see? The enemies, this is so subtle and it's at a church near you. I hear this preached on TV, in churches locally, nationally, internationally, where it's all about us, not about Jesus anymore, not about the kingdom anymore, not about the truth of God's word anymore. It's as if half the church can be bothered to read it. Serious surveys tell us that they don't. And you know, this worries me. Isn't judgment a bit old-fashioned? Do you know, can I just say, I'm coming across probably a bit, whoa, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm just declaring my faith in a God who is holy and who's given me a way through the cross of Jesus Christ. And like Nehemiah, I want to cling to that old rugged cross. I don't know about you. And say, thank you, Jesus. And that will, you know, Paul could say, couldn't he, to the Corinthians, you know, I declared to preach nothing but Christ crucified amongst you. And he spoke to the Galatians in chapter 1 and says, you know, if an angel or a man preaches another gospel, may they be eternally cursed. He didn't say, what a shame. They're just disillusioned. Paul, you see, at other times he was very, very, oh, that's okay. But when it came to the real, important, central Stuff. Paul, you know. You see, with great respect, if this is our view of the gospel, that maybe it's just about God loving everybody in the end, we'll all somehow get there. Wow, I would love that. Wow, I would love that. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to take a family funeral where the vast majority of them are not saved. I would love to stand up on that funeral and say, do you know what, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere, but I'm not going to do that, church. And I want to be sensitive and I want you to pray for that. But I, I would say with the greatest respect and gentleness I'll try, 
and love, if our view of the gospel is, well, it's just about God loving everyone, we do not understand the character of God at all. I remember a few years ago, I was asked to speak at a conference, and it, the conference theme was, uh, I think, Outrageous Love of God. And I thought, great, I had a few months' notice. And um, I was excited about that. I thought, oh, this better be good. Lord, this better be good because people are paying to get in this, and I don't want to ask for the money back. You know? That's when it's about you, isn't it? And you go, God says, look, get out of the way then. And uh, I, was, I was kind of worried. I thought, I've got to preach about love. And, and, the, and the people who invited me said, you know, because we really want to communicate the love of God. We really want to do this. It's because there's far too much of all the misery. And I get that was all the kind of, we really want to communicate that God loves people. Keith, please come. You're so passionate. Please, would you just come and just. And uh, I was all the way up and I was thinking, and it got nearer the time and nothing, nothing. And I was really, really panicking. And I started to say, Lord, I really need to communicate your love. The theme is love. But Lord, what about your love? And I started writing some notes down. Okay, love, but I, need to, I need to communicate, it's like about the source of love. That's you, isn't it? And maybe one John, you know, God is love. Yeah, I need to communicate the source. I started writing a paragraph down, one John. But I need to, Lord, I need to talk about your love, because it's different to any other love, that it's like really, really vast and deep. And so, yeah, maybe about the depth of your love. And I need to speak, Lord, so more, another half page of notes. Lord, I need to speak about... The extent of your love, it's for everybody, right? It is, isn't it? It's great. The extent of your love. And Lord, I need to speak. It's a generous love, Lord. And by this time, I've got about three and a half pages. And I'm thinking, yeah, but it's a generous love. It's a sacrificial love. Wow. I mean, God's love is so amazing. Um, it's, but it's a love to be responded to, God, isn't it? It's not just a passive love where we all just get in. It's a love that is so outrageous that you say, come on, you've got to respond. Keith, you responded to this at 16, didn't you? And so, okay, I wrote some more. And then, and then, but it's a love, of, a love against judgment, isn't it, as well? Because he loves us so much, but it's in tension with his judgment. And he sent his son that we might not. Oh. And so by this time, I've got reams, and I'm thinking, this is junk. Sorry. I'm really panicking. And then, but Lord, it's an eternal love as well. How can I do all that in this message? It's just crazy. And I'm really, I'm about three weeks before, two weeks before, and then God says, I've done it. I'm like, what? I've done it. Where? One verse. What? This one. Okay. What do you mean? No, you haven't done all that in that, God. You cannot have possibly done all that in that, can you? Yeah. The source of love for God. It's the depth of love so loved. It's the extent of love the world. It's the generous love that he gave. It's the sacrificial love his only son. It's a, a love without discrimination that whosoever... It's a love that needs to be grabbed hold of though Keith believes in him, takes hold of that, puts faith in it's a love that takes you from judgment, should not perish. And it's an eternal love, have everlasting life. This is the gospel. Isn't it amazing? Isn't this amazing, God? I was there going, God, you're amazing. And I stood up and said, do you want to know the greatest love story in the world? 
which has got this in its extent and the judgment and the sacrificial and generous. And about 40 people came forward to say, oh my goodness me. Was that okay? I, I just said, Lord, I worship God. I said, thank you so much. I was in danger of kind of giving a gospel light. Okay, I need to tell people God loves them, whatever. This is so beautiful. And you know, don't ever, dis- don't ever disarm the gospel again. Don't ever be tempted to take sacrifice and God's generosity and judgment or anything. And the balance, it's beautifully balanced. He tells us in his word, of course he does. Wow. Excuse me. I get excited. I'm going to finish with the antidote. I'm sorry, it's, I, don't know. I don't look at time. Don't watch, keep losing him. So how on earth are we going to work against this? We see with Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah, the enemy comes, you see, can you see how subtle these are from the big deals? The big deals we can cope with maybe, pray against the enemy, pray in the spirit on all occasions. You know, this is why the Bible says you need to know about subtle opposition. Paul says, you know, you need to ask God to get every thought captive, never mind the big deals. Subtle opposition wants to disrupt our priorities. You don't need to do, you need to know what you're doing. Holy Spirit, come on. He wants to question our motives and he wants us to compromise God's truth. But you know, what's the antidote? Here we go. Should be up there. We need to practice, this is simple, speaking to and hearing from God. That's complex, isn't it? Do you know what I love about Nehemiah? It's what I loved about my uncle when I got saved. I thought he'd either had a nervous breakdown or what he had was true. Because everywhere my uncle went, he spoke about Jesus, but he spoke to Jesus. He didn't just speak about Jesus. He spoke to Jesus. When anything happened, somebody led her through the mail, that wasn't great, or some news, right, let's give it to the Lord. When anything happened, he was just, right, Jesus, thank you. My uncle was beautiful. I've not really read a lot of the Bible, but I saw him walking and talking with Jesus. And I thought, I want to do that. And you notice throughout Nehemiah, don't worry, I'm not going to go throughout the whole thing. You know, he gets the news in the beginning. They've, they've told him about the terrible things in chapter 1. And he says, when I heard these things, chapter 1, 4, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, chapter 1. And he goes right through with so many. And in chapter 2, you know, the, the king wants to, he wants to know. He's going to ask to go to Jerusalem. He wants to know what's wrong with Nehemiah. He's really afraid. What is it you want in verse 4 of chapter 2? Then I prayed to the God of heaven before I answered him. And then I answered him. Can you see what Nehemiah does? Every step of the way, before he makes a choice, before he has a conversation, before he builds a wall, before he talks to the people, we prayed, I prayed, I said, oh Lord, give us favour. Oh Lord, can you hear what these people are doing? It is a dynamic daily vital, every single day speaking and hearing. Speaking to and hearing from God. And that might, not, that might disappoint you as an antidote, but gosh, it's great. But gosh, we are so rubbish at this. The life group leaders this afternoon at four o'clock, some of them. If you're a life group leader and you haven't signed up for four o'clock today, email lifegroups at waypointchurch.org.uk in the next two hours, three hours. Four o'clock session here in socially distanced groups is spiritual formation. How do we speak to and listen to God? That's timely, I think. Maybe we should extend that out in the future as the Lord allows. 
as a church-wide thing, don't we need to know how to speak to and hear from God? Wouldn't you love the confidence to walk around and go, Lord, I just hear you, see this, wow. I'm going to bring this down. Thank you so much. But if ever there was a time in this confused, messed up world that God's people need to hear from him now, it is now. And you know we so need to hear, not just individually I'm talking about, what about corporately? As the prophetic voice comes into the church and says, church, this is what the Lord is saying to us. How are we here? And you know in a couple of sessions time, the people are so thirsty to hear from God. In Nehemiah 8, they stand for half a day. They stand here in Ezra, read the Bible. That's hard. And then the Levites go amongst to explain. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Their people are thirsty to know God and to hear his voice. And I pray that now that as a church and as individuals that we hear those prophetic voices into our souls and into the life of this church. Voices that speak into our now, but also speak into the bigger meta-narrative, the bigger picture of God's kingdom battle, that we might know our role corporately and individually and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to watch out for the subtle opposition of the enemy who wants to question my motives and change my, check my priorities and get me to compromise the truth. But I'm going to keep in step with you. As Paul says to the Galatian church, keep in step with the Spirit. We need to hear him so we know our priorities. We need to hear him so we can check our motives. And we need to hear him so that when the enemy tempts us to downgrade the truth, we can see it. And at the end, 16 to 19 of that chapter, we've run out of time. The enemy will still come with his accusation. But he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you grateful?